Hello, boys and ghouls, and welcome to a delicious episode all about 1991's The Silence of the Lambs. Join us, won't you, as we chew through every frame of this bloody, suspenseful, creepy, Academy Award-winning film. So, listen in, don't touch the glass, and please, put the lotion in the basket, as we present the 34th episode of Boys and Ghouls. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Dumbing, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing but dead folks. I want to kill you. The undead. You ever talk to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Throw the third switch! Look! The third switch! Give my creation! exactly the way it was when she died but i mean i don't doubt that the rest of the house was covered in skin lampshades and you know things like that anyhow now that we're all caught up um hey cat hi marshall it hasn't been long since we've last recorded no we're uh getting this one in the can as they say they do say that for the new year and before we jump into things in the last four days since I've seen you, when we recorded our um, These Things episode, <laughs> what's been going on? I mean, what's been going on is what's been going on for the last probably month of my life nonstop. Which is? Which is listening to a different podcast than Boys and Ghouls. Yep. I mean, I can't help myself. Boys and Ghouls only comes out once a month. Well, twice now, because you're releasing these classic episodes. Watch for classic episodes, folks. On the first, on the first, generally, I may have mentioned this to you, but mm. I haven't mentioned it on Boys and Ghouls yet. Then it's like it never happened. That's right. I was looking around on the podcast app on my iPhone. Not to brag. I just happened to search the podcast app for true crime, like just as you mentioned to me earlier tonight. Like women are far more likely for some reason to watch Investigation Discovery and all these like documentary shows, Nightmare Next Door, yeah. stalked snapped right that stuff tends to be more full of fluff than i like so i'm like ooh, true crime maybe there's something i can really sink my teeth into is there something truer and crimier out there yes and it is a podcast out of canada called true murder so if you're listening to this you're probably savvy enough that you listen to other podcasts and this one's real easy to seek out and i'm telling you listeners if you're anything like me or Daniel Montgomery, one of our most devoted listeners, mm -hmm. you will really, really love this show. Dan I mentioned Daniel because he and I text about it all day, every day. The we're usually neck and neck on the episodes. It's a podcast hosted by journalist and author Dan Zupansky. He's a guy who wrote one true crime book, and the podcast, every like 10 episodes or so, is kind of a vehicle to promote his book. But in the meantime... He interviews in each episode one author of one true crime novel about their book. So he's read their book. Let's say it was, you know, Vincent Bugliosi who wrote Helter Skelter. He would mm. he would read the book. A, a book have, you've read 
Uh-huh. And my mom read while pregnant with me. But it explains I've, a lot, Hicks. I have yet to make it through the first chapter. It's not easy to get through, just because, it, in my it's just opinion, so big. there's too much. It's 800 pages. It's too much. It could have been cut down. I appreciate the thoroughness. But anyway, this guy, Dan Zapansky, has, he'll read a book and then have the author on to talk about the book. So they take you through the case. What was the killer's childhood like? What happened? There have been a few episodes that are kind of duds, but I've listened to literally dozens of them, and most of them are great. All right. So if you're looking for something else to listen to, this will suck up your life if you're not careful. And that's what it's been doing for me lately. And Daniel. I don't know how he's taking time out of his life of listening to true murder right now to actually listen to Boys and Ghouls. But hi, Daniel. Thank you for taking a break from true murder to come over here and listen to Boys and Ghouls. And for the rest of you, I hope even if you do go down some kind of true murder rabbit hole, as I seem to have lost cat to, mm-hmm. please tune in for future Boys and Ghouls episodes. <laughs> please. It's only a little bit of your time. Please uh, keep a little room in your heart for us. <laughs> Let's see. Since I've last uh, seen you, I've been editing our last episode and then watching the content for this episode. So, so basically what you're trying to tell me is your whole life's been about me for the last few days. Last three years, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That too. probably going to refer to as it as silence of the lambs even though it's the silence of the lambs rest assured we know that it's got a the in front of it it's just easier yeah to cut that the off so, but uh, i've watched no it, letters please <laughs> i've watched it probably once every six months for the last couple of years i think i'd seen it growing up once or twice but in the last few years, it's become a bit of a comfort food for me. I'll put it on and clean my room or take a nap. That's how it started for me. Uh, well, I've got a long history with this movie. Oh. First of all, it came out in 91. I was uh, 14, 15, around there. It was really the year of The Silence of the Lambs because it came out in February, Valentine's Day. I noticed that. And the Oscars aren't until almost one year later and when it swept. For those of you who don't know, it took home the big five. Best actor, best actress, best screenplay, best director, and best picture. And the only other two films, at least up until 91, maybe something's happened since then, but I don't think so. Uh, It Happened One Night and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. One of those movies I own. (laughs) It's the more romantic of the two. Ha! Why do you take off all your clothes? You're going to stop 40 cars. Oh, I remember that, but we need 40 cars. Maybe a lot of cinephiles go through this. When they go from liking movies to liking films. (laughs) Yeah. And then you over-like the films, and then you got to make your way back to movies and appreciate what you'd appreciated before, but just in a a different way. Mm -hmm. Scorsese talks about that. For his generation, it was Westerns. You know, grow up on Westerns, and then kind of shun them for a bit as you get into, like, the foreign films and Fellini, and then realize the merit of the Westerns and then go back to them. Yeah. I guess I'm that way with, like, action movies and stuff. I've always believed that the mind is the best weapon. So, but now I was watching films. And what makes up a film? It's on the Oscars. So, Silence of the Lambs was the biggest film of 1991. And was viewed several times by me. 
as such. What made you watch it over and over again? Well, I guess I can say that I got something new out of it every time. And up to this time, I was watching it yesterday and today. And I got an, a new detail out of it that I hadn't seen before. And I've seen it a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is when she's at Frederica Bimmel's house. And she goes from the bedroom into the sewing room. Mm-hmm. Now, the big clue is the pattern on the dress. But before we see the pattern on the dress, the wallpaper in the room is covered with uh, butterflies. Ooh, I didn't notice that. Right? That's pretty cool. It is. The silence of the lambs when they are gone. A bouillabaisse base of cheeks and necks and arms. When I saw the movie uh, in the theater, there was huge buzz and, you know, I was into film now, so... I had to go see it, but it was only playing at a theater that was just a little far away, and I couldn't drive myself, so I had my mom drive me, and then she came to see the movie too, and I wouldn't let her sit with me, because I was 14, and I was like, I don't want to sit with my mom. Oh, mom, you sit over there. And I sat several aisles away from her, so no one... Is she okay? Well, first of all, we were at a theater where it wasn't even my town. It was, it was like, like, like two towns over. So it's not like anybody I knew would be there. Right. And even if I did, they know I have a mom. Everyone's got a mom. Yeah, but when you're a teenager, there are just certain days where you need to be independent and not have a mother. What's the matter with you? Mom! Okay, so you made her sit far away from you. I sat pretty far away from her, like several aisles. Um, I was just on the phone with her tonight. She was asking me some things about my, my flight home. And I said, oh, Kat's coming over. We're going to do our uh, our next episode uh, on Sounds of the Lambs. Do you, uh, do you remember seeing that with me? <laughs> and she said, I think so. I remember it was scary. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's a one. That's a one. Do you uh, remember that I uh, wouldn't let you sit next to me? And she was like, how far away did I sit? Like, as if I did, like, like leave the, uh, the space, the one space in between right. us, the buffer. I was like, several aisles several aisles away. Well, at least you know that that didn't stick with her so... Like, the scar wasn't so deep that she No, was, she, she like, said... I was wondering when you'd bring this up again, Marshall. <laughs> she didn't really remember, so that's good. You should One, feel she didn't good. remember, and when I brought it up, she said she just would have dismissed it as a teenage behavior or, you yeah. know, as teen So she understood. Agey. She got it. Yeah. She knew. Now, going back and rewatching the movie with uh, that in mind, by the way... There are certain scenes that I'm kind of glad I wasn't sitting next to my mom for. Mm-hmm. But enough about me. Let's talk about this movie. It was based on a book. I don't know why I never paid much attention to that. That I listened to as an audiobook many years ago. Really? But I have enough recollections to speak like an expert. It has really good um, reviews. Obvi- I mean, obviously it was po- really popular and people yeah, wanted well, to make it into you a saw, movie. You know about Red Dragon. I do I I do know that the that Red Dragon was a book First. before and and was made into a movie called Manhunter and later a movie called Red and Dragon and later a movie called Red Dragon after the success of The Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, so that introduced Hannibal Lecter and Manhunter was played by Brian Cox. Okay. A guy who was always a good actor but really hasn't gotten his due until, you know, these last 10 years. Yeah. So, uh, Thomas Harris is the author just to Who has not given an interview since 1976. That's wild. 
So the book and subsequently the film is about an FBI Academy student in training. She's not yet graduated. You're not a real FBI, are you? By the way, I read that the FBI actually let them film. Yeah, all over Quantico. Headquarters, which is nuts to me. They were really hoping to get more female applicants for the FBI in the early 90s. Mm. I hope that worked out. Yeah. And they saw the movie as being like a positive, almost like a recruitment tool. But she, her name is Clarice Starling. She is a girl in a man's world and is recognized by her superiors as being really hardworking and very intelligent and is asked by one of the men in the behavioral sciences unit to go on a special, I think he calls it like an interesting errand or something. Because unbeknownst to her, they're sending her in to see if she can get any information out of this notorious cannibalistic serial killer, Hannibal Lecter, about a current and active serial killer, Buffalo Bill. Which seems like a long shot. It does. But it turns out the doctor really knows about the killer. He's actually met the killer and has been just sitting on this information for years, waiting for someone to come so he can strike a deal to get moved to like a different facility. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're speaking of Hannibal Lecter himself. Hannibal yes. Lecter. He knows. He's been sitting on information. Sorry, yes. Mm-hmm. Hannibal the cannibal, who is like the gentleman killer, sort of. To describe him as if somebody hasn't heard of him or, or seen him before is an interesting it's almost task. impossible. But yeah. Plus, I think he's probably been mimicked quite a bit since yeah. The Squid Silence of the Lambs. Row. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, yes. And, and parodied. Yeah. I've been cooped up in this place for eight years. Of all the things I've lost, I think I miss my mind the most. Crazy smart, crazy Ridiculously deadly, smart. Yeah. and crazy crazy. Yeah, all kinds of crazy. Uh, who not manages without, not without his own set of ethics and standards. Yeah. Well, he looks out for number one, and that's Hannibal Lecter. But along the way, manners are of great import to him. Mm-hmm. It's also something he'd kill over. And uh, does. And in does. The movie. A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. So she meets with Hannibal Lecter and she's kind of roped into this entire investigation because it seems that Dr. Lecter does trust her a little bit and she becomes personally invested and feels like she can do something to stop Buffalo Bill from killing again. And ultimately she's successful. Yeah. On a casting note, I just have to share Gene Hackman was supposed to be Hannibal Lecter. Well, he was supposed to direct it. And, and star prob- in it. And, and he was okay. financing, he was partially financing it. And in fact, the project kind of floundered when he dropped out and they lost his half of the financing. But I just, imagining Gene Hackman opposite, let's say, Michelle Pfeiffer, who was Jonathan Demme's first choice mm-hmm. for Clarice, is hilarious. Also, before Anthony Hopkins was signed on to play Hannibal Lecter, Jonathan Demme approached Sean Connery... I'll never stop laughing. You're not real FBI, are you? That would be a really good Halloween costume for you, because you've done Sean Connery and And Hannibal Lecter, so you could put them together. Yeah, I can dye my beard and then put the mask over it. I'm not sure how that'll work. A real I can wear the mock turtleneck, definitely. (laughs) There is at least one person in the world who would see you and what you were doing 
and die laughing. Like, whoa, it's Hannibal Lecter if he'd been played by Sean Connery. Obscure joke. Oh. You use heavy on skin cream. Sometimes you are allowed to taunt, but not today. <laughs> that's there you incredible. Go. That's, uh, that's my Sean Connery doing a Hannibal Lecter. Incredible. What does he do, this man you seek? He covets. Actually, I could do that for a while. <laughs> I, I bet you could. Positively shocking. It not only opens with her in the woods, it opens with her climbing up a hill on a rope, dragging herself out of the mucky, crusty, crunchy leaves of a cold, dead wood to the top of the hill, sweating. I think that's deeply symbolic. And in the second shot, <laughs> yeah, um, well, it's her running an obstacle course. It's filmed as if she's being chased. It looks like right behind her on that rope would be just some crazy killer. And the music uh, helps to suggest that. Even, even yeah. once you've caught on that, you know, because if she really was being chased by anything of danger, she wouldn't have stopped to go over the net obstacle. Mm -hmm. She would have just right. walked around it. Right. Still, you're under the impression she's being chased by something. And yeah. really, she kind of is. Well, she is. And might I posit? Posit. The fact that the character is a woman makes us think she's being chased by something. If the story were about a man, we wouldn't be as concerned for his safety out in the woods by himself. Because by mm. just the society we live in, we are trained... All the movies we'd seen up to that point. And life. We're trained to see a woman who is alone as being in danger. If she's alone in the woods, if she's walking down the street by herself, that's what we expect. We expect her to be vulnerable. And I think that's a really great and interesting way to open a film about a woman's journey through these harrowing circumstances and her journey to not overcome but reconcile herself with a painful past by showing her in the beginning as being really vulnerable i think you can look at it that way vulnerable but giving that obstacle course what for yes she is yeah so as she's on her obstacle course she gets called away and into an elevator where everyone's bigger than That's her. That's the shot I was going to mention. She's being called to the office of a superior in the behavioral sciences unit. Jack Crawford, played by Scott Glenn. Yes. Everything kicks off, though, when she meets uh, Hannibal Lecter. A couple things. One, he's behind glass. Yeah. Which you're like, man, they won't even trust this guy with the space in between bars. It was mostly a filming decision. They couldn't figure out a good way to film him. Like, part of his face would always be getting cut off. Oh, yeah. That's why they went for the glass, and it was inspired by the bulletproof glass that uh, liquor store cashiers put themselves in. Oh, to, you know, makes sense. So they don't get held up. And it was Anthony Hopkins, who plays Hannibal Lecter, it was his idea to be standing when she approaches. Like, they hadn't worked that out. I guess it wasn't in the script. He could have been sitting and reading. He could have been lying down. It's like, do you want to take a cavalier attitude? And he's like, no, I, I think it would be good manners to stand and be waiting for her. And they're like, how do you know she's coming? I smelled her. And apparently he's got a really good sense of smell. Mm -hmm. He can tell that she wears a layer de taunt, but not today. Yeah, um, that's spooky. On her way out, the first time, she gets called back for a moment. That's one of the times I was glad I wasn't sitting next to my mom in the theater. Oh, uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. She gets a hair full from multiple migs. She sure does. Is that a hair gel? Yeah. Great. I can use No, 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 don't, don't, you don't have to. You don't, you don't. I just ran out. I do think it's important to note that one of the first things that Hannibal Lecter 
presses Clarice to do is to be honest and emotionally bare to kind of just to see if he can trust her, see how far she'll take it. You know, you've come here. See if he likes her. Yeah. And the quickest way to do that is to ask her what Miggs, who is his next door neighbor, sort of. He says, what did Miggs say? And she says, I can smell your cunt. Um, Which I love his response. I myself cannot. (laughs) But, you know, it's impressive on her part as terrifying a situation as she has herself in to she doesn't miss a beat. She's smart. She understands what he's doing when he asks her that. And I think if you really examine all the other men in the film and she's encountering lots of them to varying degrees are not very respectful towards her except for him, which is interesting because he's this sadistic killer it's, it's a complicated, the thing is, you feel complicated, at least I think a lot of people do, about him. Because he is charming. He's sadistic and awful. And they don't shy away from showing us moments where he is brutal. Yeah. So you, you can't forget that. At the same time, like I said, I really, when, in my opinion, you juxtapose Hannibal Lecter with Dr. Chilton. Sure. Who's the guy. Oh, yeah. Who's Hannibal's nemesis, as it were, who is the one who has to let Clarice in. She sits down for her meeting with him, and he hits on her. He asks her out. The moment he asks her... I don't think she even sits down. She stands through the whole time, which which I thought was kind of telling. The moment he asks her out and she says no, he turns into a pissy little bitch. It's just... I think he is more annoying and, and, like gross and repulsive to me than Hannibal the cannibal. Dr. Chilton has eaten less people he's than Hannibal Lecter. He's eaten less people, but he's not a good guy. No. No, so, well, he's really not. He's just awful. Yeah. Oh, God, I just wanted to... I guess I hadn't ever really noticed how... Like, he's like, we've had other agents come through, blah, blah. I don't think I've ever seen any this attractive. Be a professional. Professional man, what are you doing? I could just reach through the TV and strangle him. Now there is the hit on later that she is more receptive to, because I think she kind of likes him. Uh, the what's what, somebody who studies bugs? It, it, it's very close to the word en- for the, an entomologist. An entomologist. Yeah. So the study of words is etymology. That's correct. But I took the, an entire class in etymology in college. The entomologist, mm-hmm. who she finds. Well, first they find the the larva in the back of a victim's throat. So she takes it to be um, diagnosed by some entomologists. And she finds them playing chess with beetles. Yeah. and um, They're pretty adorable. Yeah. And, like, one's a dork. But his buddy's an even bigger dork. And you can tell he's like, oh, man, shut up. Yeah. But he hits on her. And it's sort of like, it's like, so uh, what do you do when you're not detecting? Mm-hmm. She's like, I try to be a student doctor. And you're like, oh, 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 oh. Yeah. That's her hitting on him. Yeah. A little bit. That's giving him an in a little bit. And he's like, have you ever gone out for cheeseburgers and beer? The amusing house wine? Are you hitting on me, doc? Look at me. All I'm doing is reciting the film. Yeah. I know. And she's like, are you hitting on me, doctor? And he's like, yes. Mm-hmm. I bring this up. They come back at the end in a funny little moment. Both of the doctors are at her FBI graduation. And in the book, she actually uh, winds up with that doctor. Not- really? Not forever and ever. Right. But I think Hannibal Lecter doesn't call her at the end. He's writing her a letter that he's going like, to like get to her. Mm-hmm. And it's like, meanwhile, she's at like a beach house with the, uh, with the entomologist. 
That's so cute and yeah. interesting. And telling that in the film, she doesn't end up per se with anyone. Exactly. That's true. I think it's good in this movie not to give her a fella or, or a love interest or a romantic subplot or something like that. But I also like the idea that she doesn't have to go home alone. Yeah. And this is your date, and I want to tell you something about him, Cheryl. He's a skydiver, so he's got a lot of nerve. He's into motorcycling. He's also a fine photographer. Say hello to Rodney Alcala. Rodney, come on and say hello. Chronologically, we are in the Yourself storage facility. So After she, um has sent her cryptically. An, you know she what? figures it out. More of an interesting errand. Yeah. He real quick like gives her this clue and then like gets her out the door. Which I do want to say is part of him being polite and defensive of what he thinks is right and more specifically what he thinks is wrong. You know, he's rebuffing and rebuffing her as she tries to get him to answer some stupid questionnaire. Um, questionnaire and he's like, no. And she gets up to leave. He's like, fly, fly. And Miggs, ugh, the guy right next to Hannibal, he... He's pleasuring himself because he's in the presence of a woman for the first time in probably years and flings his funky spunk right at her head. I'm gonna wash that man right out of my hair. I'm gonna wash that man right out of my hair. I'm gonna wash that man right out of my hair and send him on his way. What is... Dr. Lecter say, it's like he has a change of heart or something. He's like, wow, she had to endure this indignity. I'm going to give her a break, Yeah, I guess. And calls Clarice back, at which point he says, go visit a Miss He's going to give her the, the, the chance for advancement. Yeah. Like career advancement right. by like sending her to, on a find. Yeah. So um, like, look deep within yourself. So she finds yourself storage. She's like, that's too obvious. He wouldn't tell me to look deep within myself. Yeah. So it's got to be an, a clue. Yeah. Yeah. And in the interim, oh, in the interim, a couple things. One, he kills multiple Migs by, like, convincing him to swallow his own tongue. So fascinating. That um, he's that good at what he does and that smart and adept at navigating the human brain that he can just, like, crazy whisper brain. to a guy for a few hours and then the guy, you know, goes insane and swallows his own tongue. Yeah. Amazing. And Clarice does, by the way, have we once said played by Jodie Foster? I'm not sure that we have. Played by Jodie Foster. Look her up. She's a real talent. That's an understatement. Does research with microfiche. She sure does. Today, she could have done it all on her phone. But there's something nice about that negative image <sighs> of microfilm. Especially when it shows like a photo and the photo's in a negative. Yeah. Um, it's a hallmark of and, and 90s, you can, 80s, 90s. All the information can like whiz by, whiz by, and then you can slow it down, slow it down. And then you, you can zoom. You can zoom with microfilm, which you can also do on the internet. But yeah, oh, that's good. It's a really looking. nice effect. That's good looking. Yeah. That's, oh, a, yeah. that's a lot better than a Google. Yes. When it comes like movies do what they can to keep that level of like suspense and discovery. Yep. But uh, nothing like a good microfiche scene. Nothing like it. Can I have your skin? Sure. Check this out. <laughs> Silence of the land. Hello, Clarice. It's good to see you again. <laughs> so in the storage facility, she um, has to like, Use a, a car jack to get the door open. and then... The guy says it's been paid up for 10 years in cash. Yeah. Creep. It's like, what's in there? What's in there is just like this great 
gothic hodgepodge of like different items. And within it, there's a car. And then within that car that's within the storage facility is a head in a jar, <sighs> which is a Benjamin Raspel. It's a very suspenseful scene. Yeah. Even though you're like, well, there's nothing in there that could hurt her, is there? Yeah. But if you're the only person in there, we would just a flashlight. With a flashlight. Come on. Exactly. Terrifying. I do love, I like, I think it's a genuinely funny moment that makes me actually LOL when I watch it every single time. Is when mm. she's talking to the guy who owns the facility and she's like, the old man. here's the number for the whatever. If this door should fall down or <laughs> anything, you know, she's just thinking. It's almost like she's What's laughing at the absurdity. Could of be a room situation. full of bear traps. Yeah. Rigged bear traps. I don't know. <laughs> I just think it's a Which, rare moment of pure comedy. There's a big like ba-boom. I assume the door did fall. Yes, it did. So the FBI probably had to come and get her out and then yeah. she's there holding a human head. Ugh. That's the scene and they skipped. stuck in there with a human head right? until they can get her out. I did not kill him, I assure you. Merely tucked him away very much as I found him after he'd missed three appointments. But if you didn't kill him, then who did, sir? Who can say? Best thing for him, really. His therapy was going nowhere. She's right back with uh, Hannibal Lecter, who this time offers her a towel. And he doesn't have much to offer. No. Um... The man whose head was found was a, according to Lecter, a patient of his. Yeah. Who was killed by Buffalo Bill. Does he say that? Well, ultimately, that's what you are supposed to think. He does manage to turn the conversation over to Buffalo Bill and says, you know, right now he's probably looking for that next special someone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cue American Girl. Yeah. Which you had me put in the last episode. I did. So, you wasted it. Hold on. I can do it twice. Yeah, be a rebel. Hold on. There it is. <laughs> now, Buffalo Bill, played by Ted Levine, and this movie was, I'd say, everyone's introduction to Ted Levine as Buffalo Bill, who is a composite of different MOs from different serial killers. Yeah. The Ted Bundy part of him comes out in that he's got a fake cast and he's eliciting the sympathy and help of a young woman to uh, get like a piece of furniture into the back of a van. And she's like, hey, can I give you a hand? He's like, oh, yeah, my hand's all messed up. And she almost thinks twice. She almost. looks over and is going to keep walking. She's got her groceries. She's on her way up to her cat. And I you know can what, tell you most women would do because we understand that we're vulnerable and we're taught to feel vulnerable. You know, she looks over and is about to move on. And then she thinks twice and goes, I'm going to give the guy a hand. You know, though, terrible mistake. if she'd just gone up to her apartment, probably half an hour later, it would have been like, knock, knock, knock. Uh, candy gram. <laughs> probably. That's but a good point. Flower delivery. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never had to go to plan B. Never had to put on no. the... Uh, the Chinese food delivery jacket that he had in the back of his van. <laughs> oh, God. Because he gets her to get up in the back of the truck and pull the couch on. Yeah. And then he just shoves it in on her and shuts the doors. It beats her. Well, beats her. Yeah. It, I mean, it's it's kind of off camera, but still, it's pretty brutal. I, I do want to mention one thing. I, I There are a lot of people who are very vocal and have been since when the movie came out. And I personally just have to chalk it up to it was 23 years ago people understood things a little differently then is um the overt message is 
this guy wants to be a woman, which is weird. Then he was going to wear the skin around the house with his wiener tucked under, kind of like a woman. That's sick, man. I do think it promotes transphobia, and I don't love that aspect of it. I do have to contextualize and chalk it up to, like, it came out in barely not the 80s, and this is a different, you know. And then, shortly after it came out, Dahmer hit the scene as a gay man who was killing other gay men. Way to be a good representative, Jeff. So it was like, this doesn't represent... Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Way to step on her point. And, and, <laughs> oh, God. And Jonathan Demme went on and made Philadelphia. So I think everybody's friends again. All's well that ends well, and I still think it's a great movie. And I don't mean to diminish Buffalo Bill as a character, because I do think it was a beautifully performed character and really interesting. But I'm happy when we move on from things like that. And I think we have. I think this one still deserves the new and improved two snaps, a twist, and a kiss. Okay, I have watched a few documentaries about Roger Corman, and Jonathan Demme was one of those who start in the Roger Corman I didn't uh, know school. that until I was doing some research for this. In one of these, there's a nice bit where he is explaining how to get a little more production value and how to make your movie more interesting, where if you've got a scene of just two people talking, one of the better things to do is a walk and talk and just keep the camera moving, giving you um, something nice to look at while you're learning some information. Now, the Hannibal Lecter, Clary Starling scenes, there's nowhere to walk. It's a jail cell. So he finds other ways to make it interesting. Mm -hmm. But other scenes, um, especially on Quantico, while they're explaining things like, we found another body in the river, they could have explained it in just any old room. But instead, it's while they're walking past like a car chase simulation that they do in, in Quantico. Or just going back to Dr. Chilton, he's giving her the rules. And he could have done it all in his office. He even says that yeah, at the end. Could have saved me the walk. Could have saved me the walk. It's like, yeah, but then we wouldn't have gotten the walk and talk. <laughs> Which just keeps things visually interesting. Yeah. Now... I also like to listen to Roger Corman doing commentaries. Um, I know this about you. Yeah, it's one of my joys. And very often he will mention specifically Jonathan Demme as knowing when you've got a good young director working for you. Enter the female jungle of women's prison, USA. A seething hell of steel and stone where bodies behind bars ache with hunger for a man. Any man. Jonathan Demme's first or one of his first films for Roger Corman was a women's prison movie. And he said, whereas many directors would just sort of turn their nose up at it and just kind of mail it in and hope to go on to something better later, Jonathan Demme said, well, I'm going to make the best women's prison movie I can. Yeah. And it's that attitude that really separates the people that will go on to great things versus the people who won't. Mm -hmm. And Jonathan Demme. Went on to great things. That's awesome. Yeah, it really is. It's a nice story. Roger Corman going ahead a little bit. Uh, when you see the head of the FBI, who's got, you know, one quick scene, but like the hammer really comes down on the investigation. He's like, well, I'm pulling you off the case and I'm putting this other guy in charge. That's Roger Corman. Yeah. Yeah. You can also see him as the man at the phone booth in uh, Joe Dante's The Howling. Joe Dante also came from his school, mm -hmm. you might call it. I could go on more about his cameo in The Howling, but that's for a Howling podcast. Sounds good. What are you kids watching? The newsletter's turned into a werewolf. Uh, another body's been found, and she's called to respond with Jack Crawford. Now she's on the scene. 
now Clarice's. Clarice's. Uh-huh. Moving on from our she's out in the field. It's not the same girl who got abducted. No. Because as they say in an airplane, so he has to shout it. He takes him. He keeps him alive for a few days. Then he shoots him and he skins him. So the clock's ticking on the one girl. But for another girl, time's up. Mm-hmm. And she came out of a, a river in uh, West Virginia. And now they're going to the local West Virginia mortuary to perform an autopsy. Yeah. There's yet another scene of her just being surrounded by giant men where all the sheriffs are all just towering over her and yeah. checking her out. Not only as a woman, but also as an FBI agent. Being, right. being like, kind of, what makes her so special? FBI agents coming out of whatever big old city they're coming out of, trying to come in here and take over, you know. Yeah. Which she adeptly deals with, I think, even given the fact that Crawford kind of like, he uses her femininity to get the other sheriff like out of the room. He's like, oh, I don't want to say this in front of a woman, you know? Yeah. And she calls him out on it later. But coming off the heels of that, it's like she seems a little obviously annoyed by that and then shows that she's not afraid or doesn't feel intimidated by that by ushering all the men out of the room which, which says, is almost comical it is it is comical she's like, she's like i'm sure now. the family thanks for your time go on now go on now get it, on out of here it's like trying to, to shoo an animal off your porch yeah basically it's like yeah gone now but she appeals to their need for a sense of power and authority and she's like you know i'm sure you've done all you can do for her and now we're gonna help her and go on now yeah. yeah, it's pretty great. And then just the autopsy where they pull the uh, chrysalis or pupa, uh-huh. the cocoon, which I have learned was made of melted Tootsie Roll and gummy bear. What? Because that was really in her mouth. <gasps> yeah, that wasn't like, like a dummy mouth. Ew. So since that was really in her mouth, just in case she swallowed it by accident, yeah. the special effects guy made it out of candy. That's really smart. They tend to do that. I mean, especially if you're going to have fake blood in your mouth, there's all manner of edible. I mean, you don't want to, like, obviously drink a gallon of it, but it's made for the mouth so that it's... Not terrible. Yeah, if you're holding it in there. The last kind of zombie ghosty thing I did, I had to have, like, chunky blood stuff pouring out of my mouth. And what the makeup guy did is he took obviously the edible type of blood but then mm. mushed up a banana and swirled it around in there and so i had chunky banana mess coming out of my mouth but it tasted like banana so it was fine it rubs the lotion on its skin it does this whenever it's told <laughs> mr my family will pay cash whatever ransom you're asking for they'll pay it <laughs> it rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again <laughs> We get a quick look in, in a Buffalo Bill's basement mm-hmm. with just all kinds of stuff and moths. And he's sitting at the sewing machine and you see his poodle running around and he's got the girl in the pit. Precious. Yeah. Poodly boo. And the girl in the pit is begging and begging for him to let her go. And he's referring to her as it. Yeah. And we get the famous, it puts the lotion in the basket. It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. That's a scene that's grown in being iconic. Like At first, it was all Hannibal Lecter. The year of Silence of the Lambs, all the imagery was like him in the mask, him on the dolly. You know, a Billy Crystal that year came out in the mask being yeah. pushed to the Oscars. As time has gone on, scenes like put the lotion in the basket or the goodbye horses scene have like come up because, man, that's... That's the stuff that kind of sticks with you the next day. Yeah. That crazy Buffalo Bill stuff. 
Uh, turns out she's a senator's daughter. So the importance of the case gets stepped up. A lot of resources are going into finding her. They make an offer to Hannibal Lecter, says, uh, reveal who killed your patient, who is also Buffalo Bill, because they also pulled a cocoon out of Benjamin Raspel's, whatever was left of his throat, mm -hmm. out, of, out of his skull. Yeah, can you call it um, a throat if it has nowhere to go? Yeah, I guess so. Um, Clary Starling makes him an offer. Dr. Chilton is listening. He's got, like, the room bugged. Weasel. He reveals that the offer was fake, but makes one of his own between himself and the senator. So really to, just to get himself in the papers. And yeah. Hannibal Lecter gets taken to Tennessee, where Clarice gets in one last visit. People will say we're in love. And he gets out a few sort of cryptic answers about Buffalo Bill. But and she's really pressing him. We're out of time. You have to tell me. Like, but and we don't like, reckon nope. time the same way. Quid pro ro I keep going squid, squid pro ro. What became of your lamb, Glory? I killed him. You still wake up sometimes, don't you? Wake up in the dark and hear the screaming of the lamb. And you think if you save poor Catherine, you could make them stop, don't you? You think if Catherine lives, you won't wake up in the dark ever again to that awful screaming of the lambs. I don't know. I don't know. Thank you, Glory. Thank you. We sort of say goodbye to her for a little bit because the next chunk of the movie is the movie within the movie, which is... Hannibal Lecter escapes. This whole sequence is really just, I mean, beautiful and terrifying and suspenseful and all of the things. I mean. Now, what is, yeah. he's in this courthouse in Tennessee. And earlier we saw him really looking at a pen. Chilton's writing pen. Chilton's pen. And later he's like, oh, where's my pen? And you're like, did the man who's completely bound up and has a guard over his face manage to take the pen? Yeah. And I think part of it is because Chilton's a complete moron. I, I think that guy. I think like he swallowed it, but he works it back up. I believe that is what we're seeing there because like for years I thought he was just sort of chewing on it or something. Yeah. But I think he actually swallowed it and is like forcing it back up. Ew. Takes it out, hides it. He gets handcuffs. He picks his cuffs and then kills his two guards brutally. Yep. He's off his leash now. Yep. And. It's awful. All the other cops who we sort of get introduced to when, when Clarice comes, you know, there's a lady cop and then there's like the guy with a mustache and then the fuzzy haired young cop who's like, is it true what they're saying? He's some kind of vampire. Yeah. So all these like peripheral characters for a little bit, it's their movie. Yeah. They take over and they're down in the lobby and the needle on, on the elevator, the sort of old fashioned Looney Tunes needle starts moving and he's, you know. Did somebody go up on five? No. Nobody went up. Paul Pambry asking to tell. Personal note. Ooh. The bulk of the film was made in Pittsburgh, where I spent one whole year going to college. And the Soldiers and Sailors Museum is where those scenes were filmed. I never got to go up into where like his cage was, although that was a room in the museum. But the lobby, where the elevator was, or wasn't, because it was made for the film. I now, I now know, because I've been there, because that is the first place I ever voted. Weird. Yeah. The, the whole area where they, like, check her gun, and they're watching, you know, anybody grow up on three? That's all where I voted for the first time for Bill Clinton. Oh, God. 
dog. So they go up, and it's just a horror show. He's gutted the guy and, like, strung him up. Yeah, it's like the movie doesn't want you to forget. No matter how much you've been charmed by Hannibal Lecter, and you go like, well, he cares about Clarice. And you give yourself yourself over to delusions of him being a nice guy. They go ahead and show you how absolutely sadistic this man is. And then Chris Isaac shows up. (laughs) But he shows up as part of the SWAT team. Like, this place is just full of guns. And they think they find him. And it's not him because he took the face off one of the cops and now he's in the ambulance. He took off the guy's face and put it over his face and wore it to look like... And switched clothes Yeah, and switched clothes. I mean, what? I didn't see it coming. I'd like to take his, his face off. Clarice isn't super worried about uh, Hannibal Lecter coming after because she correctly assumes that to him it would be rude. Yeah, she's like, I can't explain it, but yeah. consider it rude. So she focuses on the task at hand, which is Buffalo Bill tends to keep his victims alive for like three days. So they're on like day two. So she goes over the notes. She finds a note from Hannibal Lecter. She reviews what he told her and realizes that Buffalo Bill knew the first victim. Yeah. So What do we covet, Clarice? We covet what we see every day. Mm-hmm. So she goes to the home of Frederica Bimmel. First one killed, third one found. Because he weighted her down and asks her father if she can go through Frederica Bimmel's room. And is like, yes, and but the cops have been through here a bunch. I don't know what else you're going to find. Yeah. In one of my favorite scenes, I got to say, her mm-hmm. searching Frederica's room. Because you get the impression, those were all man cops. Bring in someone who's been a teenage girl. Right. And she doesn't find really anything in the room, but she has a look around. And she zeroes right in on this music box with like a little ballerina. And the kind that you open up that plays a little tune. Plays a little tune. I had one. Did you keep contraband? I didn't. Uh, behind a loose flap? She goes right, she starts. But I bet many girls have. Looking for the loose flap, pops it out. She doesn't find any murder clues, but she does find where Frederica hid her naughty Polaroids. <laughs> of herself in perfectly blameless white bra and panties. Would that scene tells me even though it doesn't really even advance the story no it's just that clary starling has something the guys don't which i think in its own way advances the story in that it advances the character if it was the mystery of the missing polaroids she would have cracked the case that's true but it really wasn't no and and i would argue that it's not only just like i mean and it's very valuable what you're saying which is she thinks like a girl she's gonna know a girl's bedroom better be able to find a hidey hole but also just sort of stopping, taking a moment to breathe in the surroundings, take in what she can and try to feel what she can about who this person was. And as a result, then what might lead her to help understand Buffalo Bill and why he would target this person, why he would covet this woman. What is it? And I think that could be argued as a more fem, a more traditionally feminine way to approach it is intuitively well she follows her intuition a couple more steps and it takes her a quick afternoon right to the killer's doorstep your name is oh uh, jack gordon mr gordon good um well frederica used to work for mrs lipman did you know her no uh -uh. oh wait was she a great big fat person yeah she was a big girl sir what is that voice you know, and like some of it's his voice and some of it's he's putting on like, you know, yeah. he does he does other parts. Ted Levine, most recently, I've seen him in Monk. He'd play, oh. Yeah. 
Oh, Monk, don't touch the evidence. <laughs> What's crazy to me is that he acted before that movie. Like, he'd be auditioning for other parts with that, like, you know. Probably hard to get a commercial work with that voice. Yeah. Or TNT. Play school. <laughs> no. Weebles wobble, <laughs> but they don't fall down. <laughs> Freeze! Put your hands over your head and turn around. Spread your legs. Spread your legs. Put your hands in the back. Thumbs up. Freeze! And so she goes down. She uh, she finds Catherine. Yeah. And she says, like, oh, the other officers are on their way. There's no officers on their way. I mean, we're missing a, a couple of beats in there, but I don't think she stopped to use the phone. So really, no one's coming. It's just her. She's got a gun. But she's in this weirdo basement, and then the so scary. And then the lights go out. Yeah, he knows his way around, and he has night vision goggles. Right. She's got a gun and some shaky hands. And it's a click. It's him pulling the hammer back. That's all she gets. It's a click, and then she unloads into him. And one of the shots goes wild, either from him or from her, that knocks out a window, and then there's some light in the room. And then th this movie has some real... Spend some time with some real just sort of like handmade yard sale bric-a-brac. You know, like the oddball stuff in Buffalo Bill's home. Frederica Bimmel's house. There's that yard decoration canoe with the paddles going around. Yep. That wooden canoe gets a lot of screen time in, in, in an Oscar-winning movie. Right. And, and got some like Howard Shore score over it. And it's just one of those things. It's a very dismissible object, but... The movie spent some time on it to like mm -hmm. let you know where you were in America. And then as just like, like a final button on the whole scene at Buffalo Bills is this decoration where there's two average sized butterflies and then one big butterfly. Yeah. And you're like, the one ate the other one, absorbed it, took its power, what have you. And now it's come out victorious. Yeah. And that butterfly is Clarice Starling. Yes. skipped a few scenes in talking about this movie so far, but not You can't talk about many. every scene. Can't talk about every scene. Yeah. Uh, and we have to talk about the last scene. The last moments, scene. Which is important. We, we go from there to the graduation. Graduating with honors. Yeah. I mean, most people don't uh, graduate already having bagged themselves a serial killer. No. And then there's a cake in, in, in the shape of the uh, FBI seal, which is one of those details that has to be real yeah you know oh yeah it's one of those very specific details that you're like that's something they found out when they went to quantico right and then the the bug guys come back and it's great you're like oh the bug guys awesome and then jack crawford's got some nice words to say and he's like your father be proud of you and um she gets a phone call mm -hmm. and it's hannibal lecter we haven't seen him since he was about to kill a paramedic He's just like, have the lamb stopped screaming, Clarice? And she's like, where are you, Dr. Lecter? And she's looking around the room. She thinks he's like on another extension. being like, I'm going to tear this place up. Yeah. But in fact, he's like, just calling to say, I'm not going to be coming after you. Try to extend me the same courtesy. And she says, you know, I can't do that. Yeah. He's like, got to go. I'm having an old friend for dinner. And thank God that friend. It's Dr. Chilton. Oh, Jesus. 
I don't know. Praise, Lord. Praise the Lord. If, if if Hannibal Lecter had a long enemies list, but uh, Chilton was at the top. A number one. Who, you get the impression, that's not a vacation. Chilton probably threw a dart at a map and said, where can I go that Hannibal Lecter can't find me? Found some island and said, great, I'll go there. And Hannibal Lecter's already there waiting for him. Ba-boom. You leave Clarice. She's a success in many things, but you'll always be looking over her shoulder. Of course. And she's like, Dr. Lecter? Dr. Lecter. Dr. Lecter. Dr. Lecter. And he follows Chilton through a crowd, and it doesn't cut. The shot, it, it goes up, it goes higher, and we lose Hannibal Lecter in the crowd. And in case you thought he'd come back, or Clarice would come back, or like some cop cars would come roaring in after him, Nope. It just stays on that shot through the entirety of the credits. And you're like, well, he's gone. He's out there somewhere. Yep. The end. The end. folks uh thanks for staying with us thanks for listening to uh to this podcast if it's your first check out others uh this is our 34th podcast uh that we've made i think it's our 27th available right now if i've got the math right uh so that means look out for some classic episodes because we've still got a little pool of which to uh to dip from getting those classics out to you those come out on the 1st. New episodes of Boys and Ghouls come out on the 13th. 34 months. We haven't missed one yet. So, so far, so good. Jeez. Cat, uh, anything you want to add? No, you said it all. Um, everybody, Silence of the Lambs. You probably didn't listen to this if you haven't already seen it. But if you haven't seen it, may this serve as a giant recommendation. Yeah. Okay. And a big spoiler. You know what? This is probably the bigger case. You've seen it, but it's been a while. It's probably been too long. Go watch it again. Exactly. But in the meantime... Beware the moon. Beware the moon.